We begin uh, today chapter 11 of Messiah Isharim, which is Befirtei Midat Tanakiyot, going into the details of the Midah of Nakiyot. As I mentioned yesterday, uh, this is, I think, by far the longest chapter in the book, and will take us uh, a number of sessions to get through, albeit briefly. Um, going back to what I said yesterday, when defining Nakiyot, remember in the, we, we're towards the end of becoming Sadiqim, and, and therefore this is a, a cleaning up act, cleanliness, and getting to the root of a problem, not simply controlling the issue, as remember my mashal, cutting the grass, but uprooting the weed, uprooting the weed. Uh, now, Ramchal says, I think on a number of occasions during this chapter, that clearly every single one of the Tariyag Mitzvot, uh, or at least of the negative commandments in the Torah Mitzvot, needs nekiyot. Uh, we need to be uprooting every single one. Um, if he were to write on every single mitzvah in the Torah, um, this would be volumes. And, so, and therefore Ramchal has chosen a number of, uh, of issues to approach with regards to the matter of nekiyot. It's not to say that it's not required in others, but these, as far as Ramchal is concerned, are the most uh, formidable, are the most challenging of the areas of Nakiyot. And uh, even, even within those, he, I think, he, he differentiates between the first three and those that follow because he is more elaborate on the first three issues than he is on the issues afterwards. The, the chapter, in essence, is, dif- is, is divided into two, Nakiyot B'mitzvot, and then Nakiyot in Midot. Uh, you might have thought that he would have started with Midot. I'll elaborate on that when we get there, Bezrat Hashem. But we're going to start with Mitzvot. And he, he speaks about three particular issues at the beginning that specifically require Nakiyot. Uh, one is to do with finance. Uh, one is to do with promiscuity. And the third is to do with food. So first we're going to talk about money. Um, I want to add something here, which I've said in recent years, which I didn't say in the in the first few years when I was teaching Masilat Shaim. I didn't think of it in this way, but over time I have begun to think of it in this way. I'd always assumed and always been shocked um, by the fact that uh, in financial areas you very often find that people who are who are who are more or less accepted to be religious people, see themselves as religious people, have different standards when it comes to money. And uh, I always thought that this was a failing in Bain Adam Lechaviro, which of course, because it is a failing in Bain Adam Lechaviro, because you take something from someone else, you are dis- discarding, disregarding that person, their needs and their possessions. However, um, over the years of being a Balabite, I have understood that there's another issue to money, which which isn't only Ben Adam Lechaviro, it's Ben Adam Lemakom, and I don't think a person who has not been in this situation yet will necessarily understand what I'm saying, uh, but, but I think most of you will, because most of you are now students and you do understand what I'm saying, so I will try and explain. Um, I think there is a Ben Adam Lemakom element in, in, in money. Uh, I don't think here we're lobber rashaim askina. We're not dealing with rashaim, right? We're 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 dealing with people who are on the verge of becoming sadikim, people who are trending towards 
religiosity and becoming more intensely religious and so on and so forth. So why are they not able to hold themselves on certain financial issues? And again, remember, as we said yesterday, we're not talking about people who walk into a, a bank with a, a sawn-off shotgun and, uh, and uh, shoot at people and take money from the bank. We're talking about people who avoid tax by paying by cash or people who, who pay a taxi driver in cash and don't have the meter on. Uh, things like that, that that all of us do, right? And we're not we're not uh, known as uh, famous criminals. Uh, where where is the issue of Ben Adam Le Makom here? Uh, and I, I'll give you an example. It happened to me many years ago. Before I formulated that, what I'm about to say took me a few years later. Um, most people have the minha when they come back from shul on on Yom Kippur to to uh, start building the sukkah, uh, and I have gone back to keeping that minhag, but but for a number of years, um, when I came back from our wonderful davening at the Midrashah after Yom Kippur, uh, my minhag was to to break my fast and collapse onto my bed. My legs were aching. Uh, Thank God, in the last few years, I have managed to, with the help of my older children, now they're older, they essentially build the sukkah with a bit of help from me, but... uh, or instruction, but but um, I came back that night and I I did what I regular regularly do. I I broke my fast and collapsed into bed. The next morning, my wife came up. She said, "I didn't want to tell you last night, but someone stole my credit card and uh, they have uh, used it to the amount of twenty thousand shekel, uh, which is a lot for us. It was a lot then. It's a lot now, and." Um, I kind of ran the run-up during our circuit, made sure we hadn't been paying attention to our accounts and someone, you know, people who know how to do this, a hundred here, a hundred there, and it's mid-stubber, it accumulates, and and uh, I didn't have any way to pay that back. Of course, my wife is, uh, is a true Israeli and a very, very determined lady, so she did get it back, as it happens. We, she even found out who stole it, the, the bank returned the money, and uh, it was okay. But there was a period here between Yom Kippur and Cholamoy's Sukkot where I didn't actually know how we were going to have the money to, um, to buy our minim, to buy schach. Uh, it was a formidable amount of money. It still is, 20,000 shekels. It was a lot of money that goes out of your account. It's a lot of money. And it's a worry. You have responsibilities. And I suddenly became aware of something, that uh, not everyone who is uh, having a problem with finances and honesty in finances is doing it because they're greedy. It, it's an issue of emunah. You know, Chazal say that uh, on Rosh Hashanah, Kodesh Baruch Hu is gozer, exactly the amount of money that's going to come in to our account and, and is going to go out of our account during the year. And it really has nothing to do with what, uh, with what we do, our efforts. Meaning, theoretically, and I know this is a Pandora's box and I know I'm not going to elaborate on, on, on it enough, but according to Ramchal, and Ramchal says it black and white, and I know there are other opinions, but according to Ramchal, the only reason a person goes to work in this world, is because Adam HaRishon sinned, and the Gezerah is, Bezeat Apecha Tochalachen, that we, because Adam sinned in in Gan Eden, man's klala, the woman's klala, is birth pains, man's klala is that he has to go and work. Um, but, but says the Ramchal, he says it very, very clearly, he doesn't have to go to work to make money, he has to go to work, he has to go to work. The money you make from the work that you do, that is decreed by Kodesh Baruch Hu. So, theoretically, if you took Ramchal to the nth degree, essentially what, what he's saying is, I could be a garbage collector or I could be a surgeon. What I earn will be fixed by Kodesh Baruch Hu. 
And our experiences don't feel to reflect that, right? Correct? You, 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 you seem to see that the people, or the cloud that appears to us in the world seems to be that people who are better qualified make more money, people who are less qualified make less. That is not what Ramchal says. Um, uh, either or, well, without going into this in great detail, but, but either or, uh, you need emunah with parnasa, right? That, that, uh, that, that we're not, and everyone agrees about that, that we're not in total control of our cheshbon, of our accounts, and uh, and it's the most I feel, it, it it's the most, and that's why Chazal say that that people have a problem with Arayot, with promiscuity and Gezel, but Gezel is more of a problem. And as a youth, I didn't feel that way, right? I thought I thought promiscuity is more of a problem because in a youth you don't really have financial pressures. Most most youth uh, are protected by their parents and are not exposed to the financial pressures at home. Sometimes parents, you know, under the pressure, you might overhear something, but generally your parents don't sit down with you and start telling you exactly what the problem with the bank account, how money they have, how much money they don't have. They they generally protect you for this and they pay for what they can pay for, and um, and they take that pressure off us, and we don't have to face that pressure until our, uh, our young adult years. But it's an incredible pressure, and it, it, it's probably, I think, not something I I saw coming either, but I think it's probably the uh, the most frequent test of Emuna that, that is going to be okay, because, because the day-to-day challenge that, that a Baal Habayat has and a Baalat Habayat has is to finance their families, to give them food and clothing. It's something we don't appreciate when we're kids. We don't understand how much pressure this involves, you know, uh, all the things our parents are paying for. We just take for granted whatever the norm is in our family. That's what the norm is. And you don't do the cheshman, right? Your kids, as far as kids, one of my kids said to me once, you know, when they wanted me to buy something and I said, I don't have any money, they said, well, you have your card. So, as far as the kid was concerned, the card was, uh, they were very young at the time, but as far as they were concerned, the card was simply a magic piece of plastic, and you just showed it to someone you got, it didn't cost anything, Uh, they didn't see you taking money out of your bag for it, and and, uh, the kids don't realise what it is, and this financial pressure uh, is is one of the biggest tests, right, again, I'm not talking about greedy people or crooks, Uh, there are crooks, right, and there are crooks who... Who, who want to make money, and uh, you often discover, and this is a very rude awakening, which I hope you haven't had yet, but you might have experienced already, it's a very rude awakening uh, in your lives when you suddenly realise that people who are generally good people, when it comes to money, it, they are, it's like Jekyll and Hyde, it's like, a, it's like meeting a different person, it's like you never knew who these people were. And um, I had this experience when I was very young, and I was working for World. For, I was working for Benekiva England, and we we were we were running camps, and people wrote in for scholarships, and it was the first time I'd ever really dealt with something like this. And I was told by my predecessor, who was Jeremy, I was told that you know you you decide which scholarships you want to you want to give, then you speak to the parent body about it. So I did that, and I'm in a parent body meeting, and. Uh, I say, so-and-so, this man has asked for a, a full scholarship for summer camp for his daughter. And the men around the table burst out laughing. Uh, I became very embarrassed. I didn't know why they were laughing. And I said, well, what's so funny? And, and they looked at me and said, this man has a yacht. This man has a sailing boat. He doesn't need a scholarship, not half a scholarship, not a 10% scholarship, and certainly not a full scholarship. And I was shocked. And so uh, after the meeting, I found out the man. I said, I don't understand. You, you, asked, you asked for a scholarship and, and you own a yacht. 
And he gave me a mishaburuch. He said, you know, it's not so cheap to run a yacht. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, you know, when it comes to money. And this was greed in this sense, or, or, or maybe a certain standard of living that a person didn't want to forego. Um, but I've even had a parent who, who, who once tried to pay uh, one of the student's fees by using his client's credit card, uh, which, of course, is whatever. It's, it's illegal, I think, go to jail for that. Uh, and you see it on a number of number of occasions. I make it more or less a principle in the midrashah that, that I don't want to know uh, any details about finance with students unless it's, it's, it's at the stage of them coming or not coming um, simply because I just want to teach a student. I don't want to have anything to do with uh, the financial details. But this is an issue, okay? And it becomes more and more of an issue as you have to make a living in your life and... Uh, and uh, you need emunah. You need you need to do do your hishtadlut and have emunah that Hakadosh Baruch will give you a parnasa. Easier said than done. Font seventy two size. Easier said than done. Uh, and this area of, of of money and being naki in money is in everything you can think of. I I there's he quotes here the Mishnah uh, uh, in Brachot of what you're allowed if you're working per hour. For someone, meaning they are paying you per hour, a hundred shekel per hour, a hundred and fifty shekel per hour, then as far as Chazal are concerned, you're their slave for that hour. Meaning, I'm working for you for a hundred and fifty shekel for an hour. I can't make a phone call. I can't say the second and third paragraphs of the Shema I mean, because it's not my time. It's someone else's time. And, and again, this is something that people are unawares of, but, but therefore they're not naki. I, I had a secretary many, many years ago, long before Liba, and uh, I walked into the office one day, and she was doing two things. Number one, this was before cell phones. She was doing two things. Number one, she was using the office phone to arrange a Sheva Brachas. And number two, she was arranging a Sheva Brachas. And uh, she's a Haredi lady, and after, after she finished her phone call, I said to her, you know, it's not my money. It's not up to me to allow you to do this, but, but you can't do this. You understand you can't do this. You're making a phone call, uh, a private phone call, uh, on a Midrashah phone. It's costing the Midrashah money, and, um, and you're paid to work during this time. And she went crazy with me. Uh, and the truth is, uh, it's not my money. You know, it doesn't come out of my pocket directly. It's... Uh, Midrashah money is essentially stealing from a tzedakah. So it's, oh, it's 20, it's 10 shekel, it's 5 shekel. Okay, but it's not your 5 shekel, it's not your 10 shekel. You, you, you can't do things that are not yours, right? You can't do, uh, actually, you don't think this is important. This is, so I said, okay. So what happens if there's a poor man standing in the street and I said, I want to give you money. I put my hand into your purse and I give your money to this man. Am I a tzaddik or am I not a tzaddik? I'm not a tzaddik, I'm a thief. I can't take, put money into your purse. It's the same thing, you know, people go into... Uh, and, and if you're a student in the Midrashah, of course you can do it, but people come into the Midrashah. I came, I'll give you a different example. I came home once, there's, a, there's an organisation quite near our house, and they have this, um, this day at the end of the summer where they, they celebrate the summer holidays, and they have these blow-up, big, big uh, blow-up jumping things that, that kids jump on. And I came home, and I found it plugged into my, into my house. So I went up to the guy organising and I said, did you ask the balabayad of that house whether you can, you can do that? And he said, no, no, but it's okay. He says, well, I'm the balabayad and it is okay. But in future, you should know, you should ask people. You're using someone's electricity, it's costing them money. Who said you can do that? 
You can't assume that, right? You, you, you can't assume that. You can't uh, use someone else's stuff when, when they, you know, without asking them for it. There are so many other examples. Let me give you... I went away with my wife for a couple of days to, to Rashbi two weeks ago. And uh, my wife has a very, very specific diet, and she, she did it the right way. But, but the place is half-boarding, meaning you, you, it's more than half-boarding, but you, you certainly get breakfast. Now, my wife doesn't eat a big breakfast because she has just a bit of fruit for breakfast, and she has a kind of uh, a more salad at lunchtime. So she asked, she said when she went into the, to the restaurant, she asked the proprietor, the proprietor, not the waiter, not the cleaner, she asked the person in charge at the desk, she said, is it all right if I bring in a plastic box and I take some of the uh, vegetables from breakfast for my lunch? Because I'm not, not going to eat them at breakfast. And, I, and the person said, yeah, for sure. But a lot of people don't ask. And they go into a hotel at breakfast and they pack lunch. And, uh, and what's the rationale? Remember, there's always a rationale that is a heter. And, and my rationale is what? The rationale is, well, they're going to throw it away anyway. So you have to know, number one, it's not true. Uh, I know for a fact it's not true that in Israel, a lot of the leftovers from breakfast and from supper buffets are, are collected up by charities for, for people without food. So number one, it's not true. And number two, it's not your business. Meaning, imagine if someone walked into your house and opened up your wardrobe and saw a dress that they'd never seen you dress before and took it. And as they're walking out of the house with this dress in their hands, you say, excuse me, what are you doing? You say, well, you never wear it. You never wear it, so, so I'm going to use it. You can't do that. That's stealing. It's stealing. Uh, and, and it's not your cheshbon, whether they use it or they, it's not your business. I had this in the Midrashah once. I, you know, there was, a, there was a stage when I came out of... Uh, I was walking in the Rova and I saw one of our girls with a, I think it was an MTA girl, so it must have been a Gerard or a Bruce, and, uh, and the Bruce was eating a Midrashah lunch. And I said to the girl, you know, these Midrashah lunches are not meant for, for, for the boys, you know. She said, well, I, I wasn't going to eat it, so I decided to give it to him. That's not the Chakira, you understand, that's not the Chakira. It's not... It's not it's not yours. If you eat it, it's yours. If you don't eat it, it's still the Midrashah set. The Midrashah decide what they're going to do with it. So they're going to throw it away. It's not your business. It's not yours. You can't do that. Halakhically, you can't do that. You, it's not a rationale. It's a rationale. It's exactly what he's talking about in the Kiyot. It's a rationale that people use to justify doing something wrong. But, but, it, but it, it's not a valid rationale. And therefore, to be naki in all of these areas, and this area, these areas are everywhere. I'll give you one more example. I could go on and on and on till Motzei Shabbos. Uh, uh, but but um, another area, for example, I don't know whether you, you, most of you drive, or probably all of you drive, um, and you get to a place where you have to pay to park your car. So we sometimes have this rationale in my mind. You know, I'm going to enter a deal with the police. I'm not going to pay. If they catch me, I'll pay the fine. If they don't catch me, so I won. So I got away with it. It's not, it, it, it's not a gamble that they agree with. <laughs> you've, you've made this own condition yourself, and you're p- prepared to take the, ra- the ramifications if they happen to come and catch you. But they don't agree to it. It's a, it the, I, I think the way we have to look at it is that this road belongs to the city. And, and if you want to use part of the road to park on, you have to pay for it. You have to rent for a certain amount of time. So you can't, you can't say, well, I, I'm not going to rent, and if I get caught, I'll pay. 
it's the wrong rationale. Meaning, when we talk about Nekiyot in this area of, of, of Geneva and Gezela and anything to do with finance, uh, it, it, it's awareness of what is yours and what is not yours and taking things with and without permission. The examples, as I say, go on forever. And it is one of the most frequent problems that we have, right? It, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you talk about uh, religiosity, people immediately think about shul, payer, sitsis, I don't know, you know, a certain way to dress, uh, if it be boys, if it be girls. But 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 the amount of time we think about your idea and we speak about... Um, Mishpat, meaning finances and, and general behavior, um, people just don't relate to that as a reflection of your frumkite. People always talk about orachaim, uh, and, and it's simply not true. We move on to the second. I'm not sure that we'll get more than the second done today. So he, he quotes Chazal Ramchal, says, Ruban Begezel, most people have this problem of cleaning themselves out of Gezel, and Miotam, Barayot, and others in promiscuity. I think, I think, that, that becomes a truth at a certain age, and, and the age used to be younger because people were financially responsible at a much younger age, 100 years ago, 200, 300 years ago. Now you don't really become financially responsible until you're, if you're living in Chutzlar, it's, and, you know, if you're in the army, they, they, they actually pay you in the army, they feed you in the army, but, uh, but until you're 20, you, you start, you know, start, unfortunately we do have some students who have uh, had to deal with finance from a very young age, um, but 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 we have a problem with promiscuity, and this is this is a, a big issue, and and again once again, and, and here we may be hit on 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 rationale on the one hand, but also a lack of knowledge of halacha that people uh, know certain words they don't understand the mashmaut of those words the halachic mashmaut people don't understand that according to many many poskim a large part of yichud is min haTorah is asu min haTorah that the problems of yichud are are not only um, that it's not only prohibited if you actually do something. Meaning, if I'm, if I'm in a room with a, a girl and the room is locked and no one has access to the room and it, it is Yehud, and she's sitting in the corner learning Yerushalmi and I'm sitting in the other corner learning Bavli, I specific, specifically give her the Yerushalmi because she's cleverer than me, okay? And I don't even look at her, it's still Yehud. It's still Yehud. And, and ladies, uh, this is a serious issue. Uh, and we have a problem because most of us mixed uh, grow up in, in a mixed society, and uh, I think that the the phraseology of a mix of of is irrelevant here. I, I think they're the wrong words. I think the real words should be our reality. Okay, you know, it, you, no one can say that it's it's for boys to be together together with girls, because if it was lekatchila, lekatchila means I ought to initiate it and encourage it, which would mean what? Which means that if Midrash HaRova is only Midrash HaRova, and Shivat HaKot is only Shivat HaKot, we should put them two together, that would be lekatchila. So it's not lekatchila, um, it's a reality, it's a reality we live. The fact that we live that reality, I, I don't think it necessarily means that we have to change that reality, but it does mean, it, 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 it places a, an enormous, an enormous responsibility upon people, religious people, who do mixed activities to do them properly. The main source, halachic source, of allowing uh, mixed youth groups, uh, mixed movements, uh, mixed gatherings was, uh, for young people specifically, was the Sridei Eish. The Sridei Eish was a Holocaust survivor, and he was in France after the war, 
and uh, there was a youth group there called Yeshurun who were dealing with orphan, orphans, Jewish, young Jewish boys and Jewish girls from the Holocaust. And he was asked whether there is a heta in light of the situation that they can be together. And he gave a heta, he even gave a heta for certain singing together based on uh, previous um, Piske Halacha of Rav Shimshon for Hirsch and Rav Hiddelsheimer, uh, Jewish songs uh, in, a, in, a, in a religious atmosphere. Um, but, he, but he also had qualifications to what he said. And uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a blank check header. Boys and girls to be, can be together because they have to be together. And we have to be very careful with this. These, 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 these it's for chinuch and therefore you can do everything. It, it, it is simply incorrect, incorrect, 100% incorrect. And we're coming, to, we're coming to the three weeks and the nine days and I hear it time again. I know it's easy for me to say because I don't run these, these things. But I would like to believe that if I did, I would, I would, I would run them slightly differently. And kolakavod to the people who run these things. I, I don't see any justification whatsoever uh, for, for any religious camp to be swimming during the nine days. And I'll tell you, it's for chinuch. I say adara. But on the contrary, if you want to be mechanech, do, do activities uh, that are according to halacha. And, and, and the chinuch will be explained to the kids. You can't go in the pool for these nine days because of choban beit mikdash. And because we're in Galut. And because we're not in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, and, and that's what chinuch is. Chinuch isn't in ignoring the halacha and doing the opposite and saying it's for chinuch. Um, I, don't, I don't understand that sentence. I, and and I, I accept that I, it's easy for me to say, uh, talking to you from Alon Shvot when I'm not in the middle of a camp. But, and, and again, boys and girls together. The, the truth is that in the B'nai Kiva society that I grew up in in England and, and when I was a Madrich later in England, there were... Hundreds of people only came to B'nai Akiva because it was a mixed movement. So there was every, every justification for it to be a mixed movement, but there's every single responsibility for those who are running the movement to run it according to halacha. And, and according to all of the qualifications of the three-day age, and not just the ones that suit you. And, and, and this, is, this is important, right? Because, because I, I know a number of, of my students, quite a large number of my students come from girls' school, but an equally large number, probably the majority of my students come from mixed environments, and, and therefore they know boys and they mix with boys. Uh, the whole sort, there, there is, you need to know the halachas, right? You need to know what you're meant to do. And this is, this is the biggest, biggest challenge, I think, that we have before we're married on two counts. It's a challenge once we're married too, but it's lesser of a challenge, but I, I think, but uh, on two counts. Um, the halacha doesn't change. But the world in this area has changed to a degree. On, on, I just want to mention two examples that, 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 that just emphasise the challenges that we all have. And I, I, I don't need to tell you about the challenges. You're living them much more than I am at this stage. Um, <laughs> number one is that people are getting married at a much later age now. We know the mission says, Shmona Salachupa. Uh, the, a young man has to be a chatan and 18 years old. But we also know, historically speaking, that many of our ancestors were married when they were 14 or 15. And they were living in the house of their parents with their, with their colour and um, bringing up a family and uh, under the auspices of, because they were still quite young, but, but they were married much younger. If you get married at the age of 24, which, is, which I think in many people's eyes is quite young, 23, 24, then essentially you, you have been physically... Um, physically able and, and, and interested in the opposite sex for over a decade. So in days of old, they dealt with this problem for two or three years. Now we're dealing with this problem in, in the most healthy physical time of our lives, and it's an enormous challenge. It's an enormous challenge, I don't need to tell you. 
And the second issue, which I think also emphatically makes this very difficult, is the fact that there used to be, and it wasn't so long ago, I have a whole theory on this, how I think two world, two world wars in a matter of, uh, with, a, with a gap of just over 20 years between them, totally destroyed the infrastructure of Western society. When, when your husband disappears for four years, you know, if your husband's American, he goes to fight a war in, 19, in the First World War, it's just two years for the Americans. Second World War is, a, is three or four years. He goes away from home, he doesn't come home for those years. And, uh, and this broke up families, you know, soldiers came home and they found their wife with other people. Uh, or, or the soldier himself fell in love with a French girl when he, was, when he was in Europe and so on and so forth. It destroyed the infrastructure of family and, and broke certain norms. But, but we can say quite confidently that before the First World War, uh, definitely before the First World War, there were certain standards that even the non-Jews had. Uh, I always bring an example, it's a bit more complex in the way I quote it, but Reinhard Heydrich Imachemo, who was the, uh, the perpetrator, main per until he was assassinated by Czech partisans in 1941, he, he began the death camps and, and, and the active practical final solution with the, with the Eisensgruppen. This man was a member of the Navy and was kicked out the Navy because he was engaged to two women. And he broke off his engagement with one of the women who, he, as I said, as I make it more simplistic because she was very well connected. Her father was very big in the Navy. But Lord knows, and Lord does know, God knows what would have happened if Heidegger could have stayed in the Navy. And Hitler wouldn't have had such a, an exceptional person with such expedience to perpetrate the Holocaust. It happened after he died as well. But, but nonetheless, there were standards. Goyim had standards. They don't have standards anymore. There, there aren't standards anymore. Now, the cynical term, yeah, but they were always doing it. They were. They, they, people were always doing and involved in promiscuity. That is correct. However, they, they, there was a time when society, all of society, all of Western society, accepted that it was wrong. And that is no longer the case. That is no longer the case. It's unfashionable to be married. It's unfashionable to have children. Uh, I remember one case in England when I was a, a younger person, when a, 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 a head politician was discovered to have been disloyal to his wife. His popularity went up. His popularity went up. Unbelievable. Um, and uh, so, so, so these two factors, uh, this is the environment we're growing up in now, right? The, the, the fact that, number one, we're not getting married till we're... If if we're if we're if we're quick twenty twenty one that's still eight eight years after after we have become physically mature uh, and in all of those years our, our hormones are working and and our feelings are working uh, and number two the standards around us are, are substandard they're just substandard uh, we're 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 not behaving like human beings we're behaving like intellectual animals we're out of control the thing is out of control without me elaborating any further. Uh, and this makes this area of promiscuity a, a massive issue. Now, of course, we're talking about Nikiut, so we're not talking about the actual act uh, uh, of sexual intercourse. We're not talking about that because that, that would be the overt sin that everyone knows. But we're talking about everything around it. We're talking about touching, uh, to go into the sugya of Shomenegia, uh, which, which, which again has become a bit of a joke. You know, when people, are you Shomer, are you Shomer, are you Shomer? Like, we're talking about some kind of joke. Uh, and uh, I remember uh, I've told you this story before maybe the girl who this happened to is listening but I didn't see her on the list a girl comes up to me in Elul a number of years ago and she says to me I need your advice I said okay what's going on she's a boy from back home who uh, 
Every day in the rover comes up to her. He was the only one of these Yeshivas in the rover. Every day in the rover comes up to her, touches her on the back and says, Are you Shomena Gia? What should I do? And to be honest, I was blown away. I was totally shocked. And what, I, I didn't, what's the boy doing in Yeshiva? Uh, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't in a Baltashua Yeshiva. He was one of the Yeshivas. So what's he doing in Yeshiva? I mean, I understand. I just don't understand. But, 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 but you have to understand. And, and here there's a need to know halacha as well. Uh, even if we want to be makel, as makel as we can be, and learn the Rambam like the Shach learns the Rambam, that you can, you, the Isra of touching each other is only Bechiba, is only where, where, where emotion and feeling is concerned, is still an Isra. And, and, it, and it's an Isra. And we rarely touch other people if there's not emotion involved, which means the, the Isra of, of Nagia is a serious Isra. It's sort of, of, of hugging, and we go into areas here where the halacha is very challenging. And um, again, it's not halachic shit, but something you, you have to see elaboration on of who exactly you can hug and touch in your family. Parents and grandparents, children and grandchildren is fine. Uh, but brothers and sisters, there are certain hagbalot, there are certain qualifications, even with yichud. You know, you can live temporarily with a brother or a sister if you're a boy, but not permanently. Uh, and there, there, there's a lot of halacha. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be known. It's real halacha. What can I say? I, I have to explain one final thing before I go on. Again, on the assumption that all of you are adults and you've heard this from Judith before, you've heard this from me before. Um, the, 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 the issue of arayot is either a woman that it is also for a man to be with. It, it is a woman that it's also for a man to be with. And there's certain... Character, there are certain characteristics, certain categories, but it's, it's also your wife if she's a nida, okay? And therefore, you're, the isurim of a husband and wife when she's a nida are real isurim. They, they have to separate their beds, they cannot touch each other, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of halachas which you'll learn, please God, when you get married, or if you've married, you've learned them already. Now, Chazal made, a, made a, uh, uh, a qualification many, many years ago that young women, as you know, they don't go to the mikvah. And you don't go to the mikvah until you get married. Which means what? Which means that every girl who is uh, mature is, is halachically categorized as being a nida, which means touching is a real isu. And chibuk and nishuk, kissing and, and hugging, and even, even inadvertently touching, as we would say, uh, is an isu. And, and these things have to be taken seriously. Again, remember, we're in the chapter of Nikiyot. We're trying to get to the level of being Sadiqim. So the challenges here are, are very, very big. I had thought that I would get all three done today. Um, but we've done Geza, we've done Arayot. Please God, on Sunday we'll move to the third and on to a few of the other points that he makes when we discuss. On Sunday we'll start off with with food. Please, please make sure you're, you're reading the sources as well. Have a Shabbat Shalom and have a meaningful fast, though I hope to leave you a message on the fast day as well.